0: Restorative approaches are processes and strategies used in schools, among other organizations, to repair harm and to build or strengthen relationships. In this podcast, Avery Irons from the National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice talks with two special guests from New Orleans, Louisiana, about these approaches and how they relate to school responder models. This discussion is part of a National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice podcast series on the School Responder Model Framework.
1: Renew Accelerated High School is a public charter high school in New Orleans, Louisiana, serving 250 students who are overaged and undercredited. In this first podcast, we will focus on Renew's restorative practices implementation and lessons learned. In the second podcast, we discuss the school's implementation goals and challenges such as reducing racial and ethnic disparities in school discipline and building staff buy-in for restorative practices. Today I'm speaking with two staff members integral to Renew's implementation efforts. Leslie DeMartin is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Louisiana and Renews School Counselor. Alan Dellery is a facilitator and trainer for the Center for Restorative Approaches, also located in New Orleans. The Center for Restorative Approaches provides training, consultation, and direct resources around restorative practices to schools, communities, and justice systems. A model that we've been working with Renew on, um, called the School Responder Model, is a way to connect uh, young people with behavioral health needs to services in their community. Um, and a key component of um, our work with schools around the country on this model has become this conversation about alternative approaches to discipline. Um, and so let's just start since we're talking about restorative practices and restorative justice. Alan, what, what is restorative justice? What are restorative practices and why are they important?
2: Uh, Yes, I'm glad you explained it or used the different terms because uh, you will hear it uh, called restorative justice, restorative practices, or restorative approaches, and uh, they can be used interchangeably. Uh, Restorative justice actually started in the 1970s in the justice system, but as the years went on, more as we think about in the uh, 90s, it started uh, coming into the school system as well. Uh, but restorative approaches are ways of interacting that proactively nurture healthy relationships uh, but also an obligation to the community in order to prevent destructive conflict from happening but also to address those harmful behaviors uh, in ways that meet the needs of those who are impacted because we understand that when harm is done or when there is conflict people are impacted in different ways so we want to be able to repair that harm in the uh, when people were impacted Restorative approaches, uh, the three parts of it is uh, building relationships, strengthening relationships, and then also repairing relationships. So the restorative approaches is inspired by that uh, philosophy of restorative justice and is guided by the understanding that relationships are central to uh, learning, relationships are central to growth, uh, and also a healthy community. Uh, These approaches uh, shift the focus of wrongdoing from just simply rules that might be broken, uh, and it focuses more on the harm to the relationships that were done. That shift gives those who caused the harm an opportunity to understand the impact of their actions and also the responsibility to make things right. Instead of focusing on blame and doing things to people, this is a big part of what we talk about restorative uh, approaches, not doing things to people. Uh, but we do things with people to build problem-solving skills that result in healthier and more humane communities.
1: Excellent, thank you. Um, so, it sounds like kind of at the heart of restorative practices is. Yes, this building community and also changing school culture. So I'd like to ask both of you from your perspectives, Leslie, from your perspective, um, as a Renew staff person and Alan, from your perspective, as a facilitator at the Center for Research Approaches, what has this transition looked like um, at Renew? And thinking about timing and training and coaching and working with families, um, kind of how have you all made this happen?
2: We developed a partnership with Renew in 2014. Uh, by prov- when we first started, we were providing direct services, uh, facilitating restorative circles on a tier three level or top tier. So when the harm was done and there was an incident that somebody could have been suspended for or expelled for, that's when they would make referrals to us. So I provided um, those services at that time. I also provided that first year a... Um, a st- simply a staff overview of restorative approaches, but the school um, did not have what we call that whole school approach that includes the community building circles as well. They had their own community building strategies, but not implementing the, some of the ones that we recommend, uh, such as community building circles. So year one was more like um, a phase in and the school was getting more acquainted with restorative approaches. We often say it's good to start at the beginning, with the whole school approach, but we, you always work with where schools are and are ready to be able to just jump in. Year two, the school contracted with CRA to teach a restorative approaches class that included community building circles, conflict resolution, and restorative justice to students. And I continue to receive the referrals to do restorative circles in addition to teaching that class. I was actually full-time in the second year at the school, contracted. So I was still with Center for Restorative Approaches as a partner with the school, but I was in there full-time. In year three, CRA was contracted to conduct full school professional development to staff that primarily introduced the restorative conversations. Restorative conversations are conversations between a teacher and a student, or it could be a conversation that a teacher facilitates between two students. So we train teachers to be able to have these conversations in their school. This year, the sc- that particular year, this was uh, the third year, the school eliminated their demerit system that they had. Uh, as a part of a PBIS program that they had before, they had a demerit system as well as a marriage system. But in year three, they decided to eliminate the demerit system but only maintain that uh maintain the marriage system. And teachers were tasked with holding and tracking restorative conversations in the class before referring students to the culture team. And that's what they called the team that worked with the students when behaviors happened. So teachers had to provide services and interventions first and then refer it uh, to the culture team. Year four, professional development was at the beginning of the year and in continu- the school continued with restorative conversations. But That year, they also included community building circles as a part of their advisory class. Uh, They had an extended advisory on Thursdays, and the advisory leadership team provided them with the teachers with prompts. So everybody in the school had these prompts that uh, conversations were happening around community building circles uh, that year. So that was the four years of implementation.
1: And I love that because it feels kind of like a graduated approach of, you right. know, we're going to start simply and then just keep building from where Renew was. Um, from your perspective, Leslie, uh, what what did this transition look like at Renew?
0: Um, <laughs> transition, right? That's the key word. Um, restorative approaches, I think, is something that's tossed around a lot in education. You know, restorative approaches, trauma-based informed um, trauma-informed classroom approaches as well. Um, it's something that like when you read about it in an article, um, it sounds great, right? Everyone's got the buy-in, you know, we get into education because we want to help support our students. Um, but it's that translating theory into practice that is, is a difficult part. Um, because it's not like you wake up one day and you're like, yep, I'm restorative. I'm going to bring this mm-hmm. to every interaction that I have. Um, it's the willingness to try things on. Um, I think it's the willingness for self-reflection, um, as an individual, as a school community too, to say, you know what, we could have handled this better. Um, and I think that is the biggest thing that I've seen with the transition of using restorative practices here at Renew. Um, it's, it's kind of building that skill to try things on. Um, and do something a little different with our students. Um, when I first started here, I think we were all just trying to, (laughs) we're trying to figure it out. We all cared very deeply about our students. Um, but we needed to try on, uh, what restorative approaches would look like, not just in a circle. Um, I think our school understood the the importance of, of community building circles and restorative circles when an incident happens. Um, but having And using restorative approaches into every single interaction we have with our students and also with our staff as well. Um, Because if we can't model restorative approaches with our staff and within our community, how are we supposed to do that with our students? Um, I think one of the things that we were able to see um, that we needed for our school um, is building strong relationships with students and staff. Um, we've always had an advisory system, but we've just kind of firmed it up over the years. So advisory used to be a time you would go check in with your advisor about your grades and your attendance and then send you off to class. Um, and then slowly but surely, we've firmed it into a more um, a more structured process. And we've built more time within the school school day um, for students to spend time with their advisors. So it becomes less of a quick check-in and more emphasize of building those relationships. Um And I think the importance of that is every time I look at literature about um, resiliency for students, it's having the the biggest key factor is having one solid relationship with an adult. And we've already built that advisory system in. Um, I think throughout the years, Implementing restorative practices. Um, We've had lots of PDs. Um, Again, we've changed our PBIS system where we are no longer giving demerits. Uh, Because really, what is a demerit? You know, you take something away. Are you taking money out of my paycheck? You know, I always use the example of if you're in a staff meeting and you check your cell phone, like, is your boss gonna take $5 out of your paycheck? No, that's not the reality, right? Um, That's not how the world works. So, trying to find systems that mimic the real world for our students. Um, I think what we also decided as a school is we are working with students. um, A lot of them don't have to be here. A lot of our students are 17, 18, 19, even 20 year olds. Like, legally, they don't have to be here, right? Like, they are choosing to be here. They've been exposed to lots of different challenges of getting their high school diploma, and they choose to come to school every single day. Um, And I think our restorative practices builds upon that strength to see that students are that they want their diploma. So putting them out of class, being punitive, um, it really just, it kind of defeats the whole purpose. Um, But I think like trying to, using restorative practices to build upon the resiliency of our students, of seeing students of who they are. and doing things with them, not to them. So again, like the demerits, taking it doesn't it it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, but doing something with them to build a relationship with an adult, so they feel more connected to the school. Um, to building those real world um, consequences, um, and also implementing pro social behaviors and social emotional learning. Being able to in the moment to say, "Hey, you were in your feelings. Let's talk about what that feeling was." Um, Let's talk about the intent versus the impact of your action um, and how maybe your action didn't just affect um, student-teacher relationship, but it could have affected the entire class. So building those skills. Um, That being said, a couple years ago, we weren't there. Um, So it's been a slow transition. And I think the transition is is just a willingness of trying to try on building different relationships with students.
1: So when you think about um, the young people and what they're bringing to the table at your school um, and the opportunities you're affording them to learn, not just about, uh, you know, book learning, but um, it also sounds like you're talking about a growth mindset. Um, And can you say a little bit about that in terms of kind of healing um, and perhaps the role of the school in um, embracing Um, supporting students through a a,
0: a growth process? Absolutely. Um, We, a a part of our school values is to enter every um, interaction with students and staff as well, right? We're talking about a school community. I think sometimes we can focus on students all the time, which I mean, right, we're in a school, we should, but (laughs) teacher and, and other support staff are part of this community. So going into every interaction with a growth mindset, Um, thinking about that all of our attributes are changeable with effort and experience. Um, I think one thing that I try to do with every interaction, um, is being able to see the intent versus the impact of the action. That's a phrase that we throw around a lot at the school. And I think that goes straight back to restorative approaches. What did you mean to do? And how did you actually come off in discussing where the harm occurred? Um, I also think that growth mindset really applies to making sure that our school practices and our interactions mimic the real world. Um, What we like to do a lot is to talk about what are your goals in every interaction we have with students? What are your goals? If your goal is to become a nurse, um, is the way that you just handled this situation a way that you would handle the situation as a nurse Um, and being able to go from there? So again, not keeping things completely contained in the school building. Um, but trying to build those skills for after graduation and looking at that growth mindset. Where do you want to grow? How can we use this interaction into um, different aspects of your life and tying it into your own personal goals?
1: Excellent. And going back to the second point, I was thinking about uh, you said that it's, you know, you're, the school staff and the school community really is you kind know, of. Transitioning and trying things on and figuring out what works. Uh, what have been some of the obstacles that you all have encountered, um, and any workarounds that you would recommend for other schools as they have progressed through or want to progress through these stages of implementation?
0: Oh gosh, I mean the biggest one is time. Um, PDs are just are just such precious times, and I feel like. You know, every every department, math and science, they have their own PD to go to curriculum, English and social studies. There's, there's always so much material to cover and just not enough time. Um, so one thing that I am really proud of and excited that our administration did this year was being able to put advisory into our PD sessions. Um, and, you know, our advisory PD sessions um, could be talking about looking at students' grades, attendance, et cetera, to look at data, but also really talking about, um, forming relationships with students and problem solving. Um, I think, you know, with the time constraints with professional development time, I think are what we've done pretty well is figure out who in the school is very good at forming relationships, who maybe who's been here for longer, um, and trying to set up a mentoring. You know, if you're troubleshooting, if you're a, a newer staff member, you just don't know your students very well, you know, encouraging them to reach out to someone who's been here for a couple of years or who might know the student. Um, sometimes I find that you just, if you've never made a parent phone call before, like that can be pretty scary, just having someone to sit next to you to say, okay, we're going to do this together. Um, so finding opportunities kind of in the moment to do modeling and training, even if the PD time isn't there.
1: We hear that a lot from schools, just time. You you think a kid is in school or kids or students are in schools all year, but really every minute of that time is taken. Right. Um, and so it takes a real commitment to, you know, try something <laughs> new and go through the growing pains of figuring it out. Right. <laughs>
2: I wanted to add to that as I was thinking about the the challenges with our professional development, uh, which, as she said, is not uh, uncommon with other schools because so much of the emphasis is on the academic side. So professional professional development is usually around academic teaching. uh, And we understand the importance of the social emotional learning of students. Uh, But that is not always um, the space is not always given to be able to do training with teachers as well in the area of social emotional learning um, because of the emphasis being put on the academic. But we understand if you're not able to address the social emotional needs of students, uh, the academic side would struggle as well. So it's really trying to find that balance in time uh, on professional development to allow that space to build uh, teachers and staff. Uh, not only professional development on how to teach students, but also how to deal with the stressors themselves as well. Because classrooms, (laughs) for anybody who's taught in the classroom, can be extremely stressful. And you may want to act or teach a certain way, uh, but when a student does something or the pressure is being put on you because of multiple students, uh, that might be um, exhibiting some behavior. Um, you could possibly not act the way you would like to act as a teacher, or respond the way, uh, because you are not able to handle that stress it's, itself. So, professional development can also help in that area.
1: That's actually a great segue to my next question. So, you've talked about the whole school approach, and then, but you're also equipping teachers, individual teachers in their classrooms um, through your professional development um, opportunities to use uh, specific restorative practices. So for folks who are not familiar um, with the different practices, can you give just a a brief, either Leslie or Alan, um, a brief introduction? Like what are a few practices that an individual teacher would be expected to use in the school versus uh, something that is a whole school approach?
0: One thing that we, um, what we've implemented in our classrooms is the expectation to have restorative conversations with students. Um, we have like a plan A, a plan B and a plan C. Um, so what we ask for our teachers is to try to redirect the student in the classroom. And if that's not working to pull them out and have a one-on-one conversation. Um, and if that doesn't work, then we can call in for our culture team for additional support. Um, but it is having those restorative com- conversations, I think, is the basis um, instead of just sending a student out for a problematic behavior, trying to take the moment to, to reset one-on-one um, with the student.
2: I think Leslie did a good job explaining the conversations uh, uh, as far as expectations in the classroom as well. Though it's, a big part of it is just being able to listen um, when we're still caught up in the work And what's going on, we don't always have the opportunity to take that time to truly listen to the needs of what the students are going through. And when the students feel like they're not being listened to, they'll act out some other type of way to be noticed or to be recognized. So we want teachers to find ways to just intentionally listen to what those needs of students are and address those needs. So part of our training is also how do you listen uh, with what we call authentic curiosity, not just have it go into your ear, but authentically wanting to know what those needs are, so that you could truly meet the needs that the student has. Each student that's in your class.
0: I think too, um, when we write behavior intervention plans, um, they are they're about rewarding positive behavior, and I think sometimes that's also missed with restorative practices. Um, you know, restoring a classroom culture can also be rewarding behaviors that you want to see, and also trying to figure out what are behaviors that you can ignore. So when we write behavior intervention plans and work with our teachers, we talk a little bit about what are we, what behaviors are we scaffolding? Is this a behavior that maybe we could ignore right now? You know, if um, if a student is feeling frustrated in the classroom, um, focusing on that behavior and maybe not the cell phone. Um, so I think. One thing that we as a school with, you know, with support from Alan too, is figuring out um, how to scaffold behaviors in the classroom. Um, So it's not just uh, you're doing something wrong. You got to go. It's being able to see students for their strengths um, and writing plans for students that are going to capitalize on their strengths um, and not be punitive.
1: That concludes part one of the conversation with Leslie DeMartin and Alan Dellery discussing Renew's restorative practices implementation process. Listen to episode two to hear us continue the conversation about restorative practices role in responding to racial and ethnic disparities in school discipline, implementation challenges, and how creating a school responder model strengthens Renew's efforts to build a more restorative community for its students and staff.
0: We thank our listeners for tuning in today and we hope you'll listen to part two of this exciting conversation. To learn more about restorative approaches, please visit our school responder model virtual toolbox at srm.policyresearchinc.org.